Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Danny Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC is back this weekend. UFC Vegas 40, Aspen Ladd versus Norma Dumont in the women's featherweight division, if that is such a thing, in the main event. It is maybe not the most exciting card, but once again, we will be giving you the breakdown of the card so that you can make your wallet fat this weekend as part of fights, dogs, and parlays, giving you picks, underdogs, and of course, a parlay that we think you should play. Plus, I got some interviews for you this week. We are skipping interviews on UFC Vegas 40, but I got two interviews for you with fighters on the Contender Series this upcoming Tuesday. I'm going to be talking to Johnny Parsons and Jesse Murray as they look to get their contracts for the very first time. Now, Before we get to any of that great content for you, I do have to mention that this episode is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like the YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there now, you can check out my bonus pick of the week. That's right. I'm giving you a bonus pick that you can only see on the Top Turtle MMA page over on Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me now is Johnny Parsons, who fights Solomon Renfro on week eight of Dana White's Contender Series. That fight takes place, of course, on October 19th. So, Johnny, I want to kick off here. I I was scanning through your record. I went all the way back to your pro debut, and I see you fought against a guy named Glenn Sparv, who people may not know of him, but he is a veteran of the sport, has tons of fights. He was an eight-fight veteran at the time of you making your pro debut, and the fight took place in Thailand. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit of the circumstances that led you, a guy who had never taken a pro fight before, to fighting an eight-fight veteran who who went on to be pretty damn good in Thailand for your first fight. Yeah, well, you know, I I went out to Thailand to train. Um, I was coming right um, out of fighting amateur Muay Thai. Um, I was 6-1, and and I went out there to train and, and to possibly do some Thai fights and then still come back and, and, and fight amateur Muay Thai is what my coach wanted wanted to do. Wasn't really worried about the fights, but man, the, the guy I was, was staying with out there, like he, he should have, someone should have told him uh, to know better than to ask me to fight. But I guess that's the thing out there. They ask people if they want to fight. And, you know, one day he came home and he asked me, he's like, do you know MMA? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I've done some MMA fights. I know what that is. And he's like, y- you want to fight tomorrow? And I was like, all right, let's go, you know. So we the next day we drive out to Pattaya and, and you know, we're, we, we show up at this fight. Um, I guess my opponent, he was, he was showing up to fight some Thai guy that I'm sure was going to, you know, the guy, he, he probably drives a cab or something, whatever the case was. <laughs> I think he was showing up to fight someone not so 
so tough. And, you know, I got, I got some cauliflower here. I've, I've been doing this a long time and he, he, he got worried about the matchup. So him and his friend, they're getting ready to leave. I'm trying to convince them like, Hey man, like I just sat in the back of a truck for, you know, for a few hours to get here, you know, to, to fight and get, you know, a little bit of, you know, vacation money, you know, like, let's do this. And he's like, he's like, Oh man, like, you know, you're a grappler. It's like, I really am just more of a Muay Thai guy, you know? And this was like, convinced that I was a grappler and I was like dude I'll stand with you the whole fight he didn't want to do it so he, he, he him and his friend they took off and you know my trainer was uh out there he was he 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 refs at that stadium um regularly so he knows the promoters there and different people there and was like all right let's fix this so the other Thai guy that was going to fight Glenn you know some Thai cabbie driver who whoever they had who wasn't like you know I I I think you know whatever the, whatever the situation was, they, they pulled him out and then they threw me in that uh, main event title fight. That, that, that's absolutely crazy. Now, I, I, there's so many things I want to ask about that, but the first one's going to be one day's notice. I know that's somewhat how they do it over in Thailand. I, I've heard fighters talk about that before, but was, was that of no concern to you at that time? Are you just that type of person? Yeah, you know, I I didn't know what to expect, but that was the that was the the start of uh, of uh, you know that was the first of six that I did within a three month time span. And uh, that fight, you know, it's it's in the books as a TKO, but you know, there's two different videos you can find online of the fight. Um, you know, I was getting wrestled. I was getting wrestled a lot more than you know, I was expecting to. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't going too bad. Like I was getting up against the cage, you know, this is 2013. This is a long time ago. Definitely the wrestling has, is another level now, but you know, I was, I was able to get up off, uh, you know, get, get up from off the mat, but then he was still just holding on, pushing me against the cage. Uh, my trainer, you know, that's what he asked me. He said, you know what MMA is? Cause he didn't know, he didn't have no idea. Just he had refed in the stadium the previous night and they were talking about it. And then he said like, Oh, you know, I got, I got an American guy that'll come fight, you know? Um, and he had never seen an MMA fight, so he had never seen ground and pound. Okay. So I, I'm getting ground and pounded a lot, maybe in the first round, nothing, nothing too crazy. Well, in the second round, um, you know, ends up on the ground again, he's ground and pounded a little bit. Um, you know, me trying to get up, I, you know, I, maybe I left my face open a little bit, just trying to focus on getting up and I got, I got a small little cut. I didn't realize, you know, I thought the cut must have been huge because they, like, you know, they, they gave me a second. Um, they were, like, looking at the cut. And even in the video, it's kind of strange because the, the medical professional says, like, he's good. But then the ref waves it off. And, like, even I was confused. Like, even when I, later on when I seen the cut, I was like, man, that's a small cut. I was, I was like, so confused why they stopped the fight. But there was another video with another angle from outside in the crowd, and I could see my trainer like waving his hands like oh like no more you know <laughs> i just think he knew he knew we were gonna have to pay for that stitch ourselves um and i just think you know he had just barely met me he never seen an mma fight um you know and if you see the video you know uh glenn's body versus my body at the time you know what i mean it looked you know what i mean he's a little bit bigger and buffer than me and, and i just think my trainer he, he just didn't know me he didn't know that I could have took that beating for a whole nother round, you know, if I had to, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, he was just looking out for me. So, you know, he probably made the right call, you know, so that's uh, trying to look out for me and protect me. So that's a crazy story. Now I got to ask too, because in all of this, 
You said you went out there to take a whole bunch of Muay Thai fights. You went out there to work on your Muay Thai, probably come back as an amateur Muay Thai fighter. Was that the beginning of deciding that this is what you want to do? You know, like you said, fighting a guy who was a little bit bigger than you was was wrestling you. Was was that when you decided to make the switch? Like MMA is my thing. Um, I, I always knew I, I was going to end up doing doing MMA. Um, when I first started, I, I started training. Like I started at a gym. I did the Muay Thai class, and then I did the Jiu Jitsu class, and that was just like my five day a week regimen that I followed for two years before my uh, first Muay Thai fight. And, you know, I did a little bit of hopping back and forth between amateur Muay Thai and amateur MMA. Um, I was four and one in amateur, M- M- amateur MMA, all finishes. Um, but yeah, you know, from, from an early age when I first got into, you know, you know, kids got dreams, you know what I mean? So like sometimes you, you, you get lost cause you've just been doing it it's 14 years since I started training, like you kind of get lost in, in everything. But, you know, if I really take a look back and, and think about how my attitude was as a 16 year old kid showing up to the gym five days a week, instead of like getting into trouble after school, like that was always the goal. You know, when, you know, when I think back to those times when I was a 16 year old kid, inspired, hungry, showing up to the gym every day, wanting to learn and get better. Like in those moments was when I was really like, you know, like, like, thinking about, you know, my dreams and my future. And then it's just like, I've just been living it for so long, you know, sometimes I got to take, take a, a seat back and be like, Oh man, you know, I, I love this. You know, I've been able to travel. You have an awesome coaching, coaching job at syndicate MMA, uh, you know, teaching Muay Thai classes there. So, and I've always kind of coached here in town at a couple different gyms throughout the years. And, and I feel like now it's like, you know, I've like, you know, got that promotion, you know what I mean? I was at this spot only making this much a class. And then I, I moved to this spot and, you know, maybe I, you know, helped out at this place, you know, teaching them classes for free for, for, for in exchange for this or that, you know what I mean? And then now it's like, boom, I'm at a super solid gym running classes there. There's so much traffic, you know, I'm, I'm blessed with a lot of like, you know, sometimes like I could probably have more one-on-one clients if I pushed it a little harder. Like sometimes like, you know, people are trying to schedule me and, you know, sometimes the the schedules don't match, you know? Um, so I'm just, I just feel very blessed. You know, I, I've, I've invested so much into it and it's like, you know, like with, with the UFC or not, like I, I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at and, and, and how much I've grown and, and, and where this life has taken me. That's awesome mentality. I, I love hearing it now, but obviously we, we got to talk about it because you have put 14 years into this sport you you ha- do have the good job at Syndicate. You you do have that that you know safety net so to speak now. But you are one step away from a dream that not a lot of MMA fighters realize, and that is the UFC with this fight on the Contender Series against a tough guy in Solomon Renfro. So I, I want to get your first uh, you know reaction to when your manager or whoever it was called you to offer you this fight, this chance to sort of change where you are in this side of the profession as well. What was your reaction to that? Man, I, you know, I, I want to say that I, I've been excited, but even when I went to go uh, film my my features for Contender Series, when I was in that building, it was it just felt like oh, this is where I belong, you know. Like I, I yes, I'm excited, but at the same time, I it's like it's calm, it's calming because it's like oh, you know, th- this is normal to me, you know, this is where I belong. I like I felt at home. So I, you know, I, I, 
uh, I, you know, when they tell, you know, just like in Thailand, oh, you want to fight tomorrow? Yeah, just t- tell me when to be there. I'll be there, you know? I, I love it. And that that's certainly a good vibe going into fighting in front of everybody. Now, I, I always like to ask people who are about to fight on the Contender Series this. You know, we, we've seen people win and walk away with a uh, contract. We've seen people win and even look impressively doing so and, and maybe not walk away with a contract. What, what part of your style do you feel like particularly plays into the fact that Dana White's going to enjoy what you did? I think I'm going to, you know, display a level of Muay Thai and, you know, certain Muay Thai techniques that, you know, you don't, you don't see very often. So I just think I, I'm going to bring something exciting, something fresh with my style and, and the way I mix it up and, and the way I deal with um, other explosive strikers. Well, and before I let every one of my fighters go, I usually do like to ask them if they can give me a prediction. How do you see this one ending with Solomon Renfro on October 19th? Um, I see it ending by KO or TKO with me with my hand raised. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This is Johnny Parsons who fights Solomon Renfro on week eight of Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series. That fight is, of course, on October 19th. Johnny, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dan. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Johnny Parsons. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, we're going to start here by talking about last weekend's main event. Marina Rodriguez took it to Mackenzie Dern, not only survived her grappling, but actually hung with her pretty well. What do you make of this as far as Dern is concerned? Are you worried that she is never going to reach that potential that we kind of thought she had the potential of, of making one day? Uh, great question. Very exciting fight. Definitely don't want to take away from Marina. She she did a great job. Um, very impressed with her performance. But yeah, when it comes to Dern, I know I you know I still could see her as a future champion if she gets a fight to the ground and has time to work. Um, you know I think she she could win any fight, which was so surprising that in round two she had a good two and a half minutes on top and didn't finish. Who am I to question Mackenzie Dern's grappling instincts? I was a little surprised that she was going when she was on her back. She was going for like a crucifix, uh, maybe an arm bar, rolling through for an arm bar, or like a Kimura. And I'm like, you know what? It's MMA. Just take her back. Try to choke her out. You can use punches to set up the choke. I thought maybe she tried to get a little flashy. Um, but it also goes to show you, Hey, this is MMA. You know, if you can't get them out when you have them on the ground and you're a jujitsu specialist, guess what? That next round is starting on their feet. And that's exactly what happened. Reminded me a lot of when Jorge Masvidal survived having Demian Maya on his back. Um, and, uh, you know, the, just always, when you can survive those rounds, you know, it's going to start back on their feet. That being said, I still think you can't take away from the fact that Mackenzie Dern, uh, her striking has improved over the last few fights, maybe not so much in this fight, but she's still, you know, on the upper echelon of strikers, I think, for the division. I, well, let me take that back. She's not in the upper echelon, but she's completely capable of trading. I just thought she, you know, maybe it was a weight cut. I thought she looked a little skinnier than normal. I thought she looked tired as it got into rounds three and four. What did you make of the performance? Um, yeah, I kind of agree with you. I also will say uh, that this, to me, said a lot more about Marina Rodriguez than it did Mackenzie Dern's potential. Um, because I think Mackenzie Dern, like you said, she, she's clearly making improvements in her striking. 
she she needs a lot of work there too. I, I think you know she uses her striking to try to get to her grappling, and I think when you face somebody as skilled at striking as Marina Rodriguez, Yoanian Jacek, Rose Namajunas, Wei Zhang, and I, I am putting Marina Rodriguez in that category as far as strikers go. You need more than that. You need more than just using your striking to insert yourself into the grappling world. Um, it, you need to have some kind of tangible threat there, and I think that's the big thing missing in her game right now. Her her striking is getting good enough that she can compete. She competed with Vierna Jandiroba, but like it's got to be more than just can compete with a middle of the pack strawweight. It has to be can threaten people in order for her to to really turn that corner. Because like you said, her grappling's the best in the division. She she's on the ground with somebody. She she def, she attacks better than anybody on the planet. And I think if she be, begins to work into her striking game, the ability to attack with those strikes. And be a real threat with those strikes. I think we'll see her as a title challenger, but until that day, I, I think we got to kind of write her off as you know gonna chill in the number five to number ten range. All right. Well, time will tell on that. It's something we're going to be playing, paying close attention to uh, as Mackenzie Dern evolves in MMA. But I'll tell you what else we're going to be paying close attention to. It's UC Vegas 40 this weekend. Uh, very excited about this. Not the greatest card, but you can always gamble even when it's not the greatest card. And there are some uh, performers in here that I'm looking forward to seeing. So let's get to this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, why don't we? Breaking down UFC Vegas 40. But before we do, Gumby, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, use Maroon Social. Log your training session. Leave yourself notes. Log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh, so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and download Maroon Social. Wherever it is, you download apps. All right, our main event, Aspen Ladd, a minus-135 favorite. Norma Dumont, a plus-115 dog. Uh, Norma Dumont, the Brazilian, is on a two-fight win streak in the UFC. She is 2-1 and one overall in the UFC. She debuted with a KO loss to Megan Anderson, but then rebounded nicely with a unanimous decision win over Ashley Evans-Smith and coming off a split decision win over Felicia Spencer. Aspen Ladd, very interesting crossroads of her career. I always like to point this out. She needs to make it two in a row here. Once thought of as a uh, potential future title challenger, as a prospect, she started her MMA career 8-0, and did she? She started her UFC career 3-0 and with wins over Lena Landsberg, Tanya Avenger, and Star Eubanks, but then lost via TKO to Jermaine Durandamy back in July of 2019, Came back later that year and fought Yuna Kaniskaya via TKO. Did she win? So on a one-fight win streak here, Aspen Lab, the minus-135 favorite here, who you take him? So it, it, this is a weird one for me because Aspen Ladd, you know, having previously uh, just missed weight. She missed weight two weeks ago uh, for a fight that she was supposed to be in. And uh, now, now is going to be taking a fight against a, a much bigger woman in Norma Dumont. It's a weird one for me to try to, to sort of figure out where she fits right now. But I will say this, I still ultimately trust, especially at this price, I trust her skill set, right? Norma Dumont went out there, got starched by uh, Megan Anderson, who, you know, she's got good striking, but I probably don't trust her as much as I trust Aspen Ladd. In addition to that, Norma Dumont went out there and stuffed 
Felicia Spencer, who I think of as being a good grappler, but maybe not as strong and as powerful as Aspen Ladd, even with Aspen Ladd being a little bit smaller than Felicia Spencer. Um, so while I hate the fact that she missed weight two weeks ago, she looked like she was going to pass out on the scale. I'm still going to take Aspen Ladd here. I think she's just a more skilled fighter than Norma Dumont. And we can kind of put all that other stuff behind us is, uh, just kind of noise for this fight. All right. Fair enough. I'm not going to add anything to that. I agree with the breakdown. This one's fun. We have a heavyweight fight. Carlos Felipe, a minus 125 favorite to the veteran, the legend. Plus 110, Andre Arlovsky. Arlovsky, it is worth noting, made his UFC debut back in November of 2000, so going on 21 years ago. This man has been fighting for way too long. But he's only 42, is the Belarusian. Uh, he is on a one-fight win streak with a win over Chase Sherman. Lost to Tom Aspinall before that. Beat Tanner Boser and Philippe Linz before that. Lost to Jerizo Roizenstrike before that back in November of 2019. So if you want to take a five-fight look at him, he's 3-2, and two, still in the mix at the heavyweight division, um, and now fighting Carlos Philippe, who debuted in the UFC, much like Norman Dumont, on a loss. Only in this case, Carlos Philippe lost to Sergei Spivak and now has come back and reeled off three wins in a row. Jorgen DeCastro, Justin Taffa, Jake Collier, all via decision. Uh, he is the favorite here, but not by much. Who you got? I'm actually going to go with the underdog, Andre Arlovsky. In addition to being a giant Andre Arlovsky stan, I also think he's just a bad matchup for Carlos Philippe. Philippe is a guy uh, who, who kind of picks and chooses his shots and fights his opponent's pace. Um, which has worked kind of well for him against uh, some big power punchers who he's been able to sort of overwhelm with volume and stand in there um, durability-wise because Carlos Felipe is quite the durable opponent. Andre Orlovsky has just morphed into a fighter that no longer is really interested in knocking you out. He's more, much more interested in picking his shots from a distance and winning a, a point fight because he knows his chin's been touched a hundred times. We've all seen the Fedor knockout far more than we need to, so... You know, like he, he's kind of evolved into a fighter who will point fight. And if Carlos Felipe gets suckered into having that fight with him, I, I like Arlovsky to win it. I think he's faster. He's craftier. Uh, I think maybe even he's got the better gas tank than Felipe. So as long as this doesn't devolve into a big punch fest, let's go with the veteran. Let's go with Andre Arlovsky to turn back the clock one more time. All right. Uh, let's move then to <clears throat> an exciting middleweight fight. Julian Marquez, a minus 185 favorite, strong favorite against Jordan Wright, a plus 155 dog. Jordan Wright is coming off a win over Jamie Pickett via TKO, lost to Joaquin Buckley via KO, uh, beat Ike Villanueva via TKO uh, before that. So two and one in the UFC is Jordan Wright. Julian Marquez debuted on Dana White's Contender Series all the way back in August of 2017 with a big KO head kick knockout over Phil Dawes. Since that time in just normal UFC action, not counting Dana White's Contender Series, in the four years that he's been eligible to fight in the UFC, he's 3-1. and one. So he has been uh, inactive for a lot of it, but this would be his third fight in 2021. Uh, so he's 3-1 and one with a win over Darren Stewart. Lost to Alicio De Chiro back in 2018, but now in 2021, he has beat uh, Mackie Patolo and Sam Alvey. Uh, Patolo was a win via Anaconda choke, Alvey via rear naked choke. So the Cuban Missile Crisis showing off some submission chops here. Who you got? 
I'm going to go with the Cuban Missile Crisis. I'm going to go with Julian Marquez. Uh, I have never been all that sold on Jordan Wright. He's got this crazy run. If you look at his record of, of tons of knockouts in his career, and if you look at the regional circuit, he's beaten a lot of guys who are like 1-22 in or like 0-10. Um, so I think that record's a little bit padded. Even Jamie Pickett was 0-2 on the, uh, the Contender Series before finally getting his deal. Um, he had to get three shots in order to get a win and somehow got a contract in the third one. So, yeah, like I think Jordan Wright has got KO power, but only when he's fighting somebody who is a far worse striker than him. I don't think that's Julian Marquez, who... You know, it's kind of a beast in there. He knocked out Phil Hawes, who now is on the verge of being ranked at uh, middleweight. You know, and, and like you said, he's, he's got this resurgent submission game. I like him to take them to the ground here, and, and I like him to get his third straight submission. All right, very well said. Well, let's then get to our dog of the week. <laughs> it's Estela Nunez, a plus 145 over Arian Cernolossi. Let's hear it. So I really like Estela Nunez. I think she's probably being heavily underrated by the fact that she has been out for three years. And that is a really significant layoff, especially heading into your UFC debut. But I think a lot of people forget how big she was in 1FC. She actually fought for their strawweight title against one of their biggest names, which is Angela Lee. Um, if you don't follow 1FC, that name probably doesn't mean much to you, but that is a big title fight for her. She also beat Mei Yamaguchi, who is a legend of the sport on the women's side. Um, so she looked really good over there. She's a fun Muay Thai specialist. Carlosi is mostly just an absolute brawler, so I kind of like her to be the more technical striker here, who has fought better competition, with the exception that Carlosi has fought Angela Lee. So I'm going to take Estella Nunez here to just kind of pick apart Ariane Carlosi until uh until she picks up a decision victory here let's get then to our parlay to play it's manon Firioff, a minus 200 and ludovic klein a minus 275 those are two pretty big favorites uh two to one and even bigger uh but pair them together and it will get you plus money slightly plus 105 let's hear it so first of all, I don't know how Manon Firo is only a negative 200 favorite. She has looked like an absolute beast since coming to the UFC. She's finished every single one of her fights. And she's fighting somebody who is probably going to try to stand and trade with her, which is just the wrong move. And even if she did try to wrestle Manon Firo, her takedown defense is phenomenal. So I could not be higher on Manon Firo. I think she absolutely starches Myra Buena Silva here. Um, and negative 200 should be in just about every parlay that you play. I also like Ludovic Klein here for similar reasons that I like to Stella Nunez. He's the more technical striker here against Nate Landwer. Landwer kind of likes to slug it out like Carnalosi. But not only is Ludovic Klein just like a little bit more technical, but he's also got way more knockout power and he's got really great counters. So I expect Landwer to move forward kind of recklessly, eat one of those mean shots from Klein and get KO'd. So to see two numbers this, uh, this big and turn it around to plus money, I think that you can't go wrong with Manon Firo and Ludovic Klein. You can't go wrong with that parlay to play, and you can't go wrong with fights, dogs, and parlays coming at you from your boys at Top Turtle MMA. Hey, hit us up on our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. We'll be live tweeting during the show. We sure do like some fan interaction. And if you think we deserve it, head on over to iTunes, write a five-star review for us. It helps keep the lights on in the Top Turtle podcast studio. Gumby, what do we do now? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Jesse Murray as he gets ready for his Contender Series bout on Week 8, as well as talking a little bit about moving to Strong Style MMA, working with Stipe Miocic and the whole team over there. 
and we're going to get to that great interview for you right now. All right, and joining me now is Jesse Murray, who fights Kai Bohayo on week eight of Dana White's Contender Series. That fight, of course, takes place on October 19th. So, Jesse, I, I want to start by talking about this. You, you recently had a teammate and training partner of yours, Mo Miller, on the Contender Series. He obviously was very successful in the fight, didn't wind up in a, with a contract. But I want to ask you, did he have any advice for you as you head on to week eight of the show? Um, not really. I guess I'd say if any advice, it was more or less just about uh, what they're looking for when you're there and uh, more the setting of what goes on beforehand than actual fighting. And is that something that you find to be particularly stressful to yourself or is that something that you you appreciate extra being that, you know, obviously this is a very different setting than what you've had before, obviously with different COVID protocols and stuff. Fighting has been weird for the last couple of years. Is that something that you take as an advantage going into this fight? Yeah, I, I think it kind of is an advantage. It kind of makes unsettlement on both sides, so it's not really something to worry about uh, for that. But I generally handle all the uh, precursors to the fight rather well um, and kind of get more excited for the big buildup that is, you know, the Dana White Contender Series compared to a normal just fight in a local card. Absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit about that buildup, too, and, and all the stuff that goes into that. But I did want to touch upon, you know, I actually had Mo on the show a little while ago. We, we talked to him for a brief moment. Uh, and he talked a little bit about the training partners, too, that you guys have. Maybe not necessarily that are as close in size to you guys, but some bigger guys who have been in the UFC and have given him some advice. I was wondering if you could talk about the just the environment of Strong Style and how they have kind of gotten you to this mature level where you are ready for this type of big fight. Yeah, uh, strong style is a different type of animal all in itself, and our fight team pushes each other uh, rather hard as an actual team, which is kind of different if you ever go into these huge gyms. A lot of times, if you're not the top guy, no one really cares. So uh, <laughs> you don't really get attention or focus on from anybody else. Um, me coming to strong style was actually because of the stable, as I would call it, of bigger people. I was originally just driving in for week eight, weekends um, for Stipe's camp, uh, back in the early build-up stages of uh, of his rise through the ranks of the UFC. And then since then, I get the chance to meet Alexa, who I now train with regularly. Um, and then conveniently with me coming in at the same time, uh, Jeff Hughes and uh, Chad Kelly are also here. So for my weight class and up, we're generally pretty packed, and that's huge when it comes to training camps. Um, I train against UFC-level competition regularly. So... It's one of those things where if you know you train hard enough, the fight's easy. And at Strong Style, that's pretty normal. And, and you mentioned in there your decision to move to Strong Style full time. You had been doing it on the weekends and kind of training elsewhere in the meantime. What what made you make that decision that this is where I need to make my permanent home? Obviously, like you mentioned, the competition. But what what sort of pushed you over that edge? Um, so I'm originally from Toledo, so about two hours to the west, and uh, that's where I was training at you know, all the time other than occasionally on the weekends out here. And uh, what it really came to was the decision of wanting to be somewhere close um, to where I can still, I guess, go home and be around my family if needed, but at the same time have the competition and the um, almost drive and uh, coaching staff that you would need to get to the next level. And with already having an, uh, a foot in the door, as some would say, um, with strong style, it kind of was an easy decision to move out this way and call this a permanent home. And, and you make the, the, the point there of saying that it's a great place to decide, 
that you want to be a professional. Is that something you always knew you wanted for yourself? Did you always know that you wanted to be a pro fighter? I knew when I started fighting, I wanted to do as much as I could with the sport. I'm one that, uh, that if I do something, I tend to try to do it a hundred percent. And so when I found that I had a love for uh, fighting and kind of the actual sport aspect of it, um, I told myself I was going to go until, uh, I felt as though I had nothing more to offer to the sport. And with pushing yourself to the highest level, you have to be at somewhere that's going to allow it. So strong style it is. I, I love that mentality. Now, last question about the training before we get into the actual fight is, you mentioned Stipe. You mentioned Alexa Kamer. You mentioned Jeff Hughes. You, you mentioned a lot of big dudes in there. And not that you're not a big dude in your own right, but those are those guys are probably quite a bit larger than you. Is it? Do you find it to be an advantage to have that much of that many of your training partners be guys who outweigh you by that much? Uh, yes and no. Um, <laughs> both both apply to the next comment, which is, I mean, they hit really hard, right? Uh, <laughs> big guys generally have a lot of, a lot of mass behind what they're doing, and so um, you kind of get used to trading and uh, interacting with bare bodies. It makes it so when you move down to something smaller, it seems like nothing. Uh, which is generally pretty awesome. And then, you know, the the bad part of that is when you get hit by a bigger guy, you know, more uh, dazed off your life type of feeling <laughs> compared to getting uh, smacked by somebody smaller. So, yeah. Well, well, luckily coming up on October 19th, it is going to be somebody smaller, and that's Kai Barrio. So I, I want to ask you about him because he's one of the rare guys who we've gotten to see already fight on the Contender Series. He picked up a win Dana White didn't like him enough to sign him, but did ask him to come back. I'm curious, have you watched that fight? And if so, did you watch it live? And what did you think of him? Um, I've seen glimpses of it. Uh, I haven't really sat down and studied it yet. I plan to do it this uh, coming week here. Um, I mean, I, he's an athlete. He's definitely a fighter, you know, um, all-around game. Uh, but nothing really popped out of me as being over the dangerous or uh, – something that could cause big issues. Uh, I'm excited for the type of fighter that he is because it reminds me a lot of myself. So it makes me think that this could be really an uh, exciting fight coming forward. But otherwise, I mean, just another guy, honestly. I didn't see anything special. When I suppose when you're being hit in the head by guys who weigh 265 pounds, nothing feels all that special. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, but you're probably right. Uh-huh. So, so let's talk a little bit about your style, because you did mention it in there that you feel like your style is somewhat similar to his. Uh, obviously, you said you talked about style with Mo Miller and what they were looking for, because it is a big part of this show. Do you feel like there's any added pressure to change a little bit of what you do, or do you feel like the style that you go in with is already made for impressing the boss, so to speak? Um. I think my style generally lends to the kind of like impressing the boss type of feel to it. Um, as long as I lean into some things I was working on fixing coming out of my last fight anyway. Um, so really I feel like stylistically I have a great chance to be impressive and, or at least exciting, which I know is what he's looking for. So. Well, I usually like to ask fighters before I let them go, if they can give you a prediction, how do you see this one going down with Cabahayo on week eight of the contender series coming up October 19th? I can see my hand raised at the end of 15 minutes. I like that. If it happens sooner, if it happens sooner than that, I'll take it. But if you want my prediction, that's how it's going to be. Well, I like that answer. Now, I'm going to ask you one more question before I let you go, because I said that was going to be the last one, but I lied. 
I was I was scrolling around I was scrolling around your Instagram before uh, before the interview. I like to do a little background work. I saw a comment that you drink black coffee, iced black coffee specifically, in between rounds of training. You got to tell me about that. What what exactly is your thought process on that? Do you do that all the time? Yeah, um, I mean, I don't do it. I don't drink anything during practices, um, during main practices where it's not just focused on me. Um, but yeah, I love coffee. That's basically what it comes down to. <laughs> I have a very strong coffee addiction. I'm not going to act like I don't. And uh, whereas other people might reach for water, I generally take a big swig of coffee and then maybe chase it with a little water in between rounds whenever I'm doing pads or things of that nature. Well, that's crazy, but I absolutely love it. Uh, and Jamie, thank you so much for the time. Once again, dance. this is Jesse Murray, who fights Carbajal at, at the Contender Series, Week 8 on October 19th. <laughs> Hopefully the UFC soon. I have made that mistake twice now. So, Jesse, thank you so much like for the it. time. I like man. it. It's a great prediction. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you so much, Dan. And I, I like to speaking it into existence for me. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week because we could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Better Than Vegas and Maroon Social. And, of course, remind you to follow us on Twitter and uh, Instagram at Top Turtle MMA. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.